coming to the conclusion of the first part of this message series we're calling Believe. And this morning, we're going to talk about eternity. Now, just because we're talking about eternity, this doesn't mean I plan to preach for eternity. And so probably a lot of you are breathing a sigh of relief. This past week, I had an opportunity to spend some time in Guatemala. And uh, I was part of a medical mission team. I went with George Robertson. And I can't tell you how appreciated George is by this team of doctors. What a great leader George was this past week. I got an opportunity to, to be in a, a couple of, um, of the operating rooms when George was doing uh, a surgery. Don't know that was much help to him, but, but I was there uh, anyway. Um, but while I was there, I met an elder, and, and this elder was sort of giving me his perspective about preaching. And have you noticed, everybody's got a perspective about preaching. And so he said, have you heard the 2020 rule on preaching? I said, well, no, I, I, I haven't heard the 2020 rule on preaching. He said, yeah, it goes like this. You preach 20 minutes, you get to stay 20 years. I thought, well, that's, yeah, <laughs> some of you are saying amen. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, uh, today we're going to talk about not, we're going not, to not talk for eternity, but we're going to talk about eternity. It's such an important and biblical idea. And every week in our, in our message series, we're looking at kind of a key idea that comes from the reading that you've been doing this week. And the key idea, and we'll put it on the screen, is this. I believe there is a heaven and hell, and that Jesus will return to judge all the people and establish his eternal kingdom. And then every week there's this key verse, and today's key verse is John 14, verses 1 and 2, which says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? That's such a beautiful idea, isn't it? That Jesus, right before he leaves his disciples, he's in the upper room, and he says these very important things to them. Before he leaves, he says, I'm, I'm going to go, but I'm preparing a place just for you. And one of these days, you're going to come and be with me. Now, one of the things I appreciate about this message series is that when we're looking at particular topics, we're not only looking at what the New Testament has to say, but often there's a lot of Old Testament readings as well. And so today, I want us to begin by thinking, what does the Old Testament say about eternity? What does the Old Testament say about what happens after we die? Now, you'll notice even in the reading it said that, that the Old Testament is not as rich, perhaps. There are not a lot of passages that talk about what happens after we die, but it's a, a misnomer to say the Old Testament is silent. In fact, I have this sense that the Old Testament says a lot more about what happens when we die than we realize. And so uh, let's look, for uh, as we begin, at a couple of passages in the book of Psalms which says something about eternity that I find very interesting. In Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, this is a psalm of David. David says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure, because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, one of the interesting things about that passage in Psalm 16 is that later on in your New Testament, when Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2, that sermon we know as the, as the sermon that 
that, that established the church, the sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost. Well, Peter refers to this Old Testament passage to describe Jesus. He says that, really, David's talking about Jesus here when he says, you will not let your faithful one see decay. Jesus, in essence, is going to be raised. So even in the Old Testament, we have this idea that, that Jesus will one day be, be raised, and by inference, we will as well. And it goes on to say that we will experience, I love this line, eternal pleasures at your right hand. I don't know what you think about when you think about life with God in eternity, but David describes it as a place where we experience eternal pleasures. Whatever gives you pleasure now, oh, it's, it's magnified when we're in the presence of God uh, one day in eternity. Well, David says something else fascinating in chapter 17 of the Psalms, 17 verse 15. He says, as for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied by seeing your likeness. Isn't that an interesting image? He says it's like one of these days we're going to awake after we die. That, that reminds me of some words that Jesus said one time when Jesus was told that his friend Lazarus had died. And he said, oh, no, no, he, he's, hasn't, he's not dead. He just sleeps. And so Jesus here, I think, is, or rather David here, is, is helping us with this beautiful image to see death as this moment when we go to sleep, this moment uh, when we anticipate being awakened and then in psalm 22 verse 29 david again i think is alluding to the afterlife and to the resurrection when he says all of the rich of the earth will feast and worship all who go down to the dust notice will kneel before him death is not the end there's coming a time paul will tell us in the book of philippians when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, uh, is the Lord, and, and is, is God. But the Old Testament prophets, I find, are even more explicit. We find hints of resurrection, of what happens after we die in eternity um, in the Psalms, but, but there are two passages that I, I think are even more explicit. In Isaiah chapter 26, in verse 19, Isaiah says, But your dead will live. Anyone who says the Old Testament does not talk about the next life just hasn't read Isaiah 26. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. I think he's speaking of resurrection. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. It's a powerful image. He uses this image of birth. The earth is going to give birth, he says, to her dead. But if that's not explicit enough, there's even another passage. It's in the book of Daniel. This is even more explicit. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, where the prophet says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This really prepares us, doesn't it, for the New Testament? Here Daniel imagines this time when, when those who've passed will arise, and some will arise to, to live in eternity with God, and others will arise to live in eternity separated from God. The truth of the matter is, everybody lives forever, somewhere. 
And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment or two. The most explicit passage in your Bible, however, that helps us understand something about what happens after we pass from this earth is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your New Testaments. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the, most, is, is the longest chapter on eternity. There's some irony there. But in 1 Corinthians 15, these ancient Corinthians, they, they have all sorts of questions, a lot like us. I mean, you know, none of us in this room, I'm, I'm guessing, have ever died. I mean, you know, we, we've all, we've, we've known those who've passed, but we've never died. So we have questions about what happens after we die. And Paul seeks to answer some of those questions in 1 Corinthians 15. And the first question that they bring up is when they ask, well, how, and we'll put this on the screen, how are the dead raised? Now, judging by Paul's response to this question that they raise, it more, this question may have been asked as a way to kind of mock or sort of show contempt for this whole idea. Oh, oh yeah, the dead are raised. Well, well, how are the dead raised? And Paul says, how foolish. But then he answers their question in verse 35, a pretty significant verse, where he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, the analogy that Paul uses is one from the agricultural world. It's the language of, of sowing and, and reaping. You, you take a seed, and you plant that seed in the ground. You cover it up, and then you wait. And that seed, in a sense, dies. You wait, and you wonder, is anything going to happen? And then after a while, you see how that, that the green root begins to sprout, and, and, and shoot begins to come up out of the dirt, and something even more beautiful comes out of the dirt. You see, you must die, I think Paul is saying, in order to really live. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is driving to this idea that, that he makes powerfully in verse 50, where he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We must die so that we'll be raised into a new kind of living with a new body. And so Paul's teaching in this chapter should forever change the way we look at death. Now let me just say a pastoral word right here because I think if we're not careful, we can move too quickly with those who've lost loved ones. I know I'm speaking to a lot of people in this room right now. You've lost loved ones. Some of you have lost loved ones just, just recently. And we need to be very patient with people who've lost loved ones. Because we know the truth and we know this, this notion of, of resurrection. That gives us hope and we have a lot of rejoicing. If we're not careful, we want to push those who are grieving to rejoice too soon. And yet Paul will tell us that death is still an enemy. And we don't make friends with that enemy. Now the good news is that I'll pr uh, preach this morning is that enemy has been defeated. And yet still death is, is it's still, it's still an enemy. And it's dark and it's, it's mysterious. And those of you who've stood there as you've planted a loved one into the ground, you know how painful and how difficult that is. And if we're not careful, we come with these pious platitudes too quickly and we say, well, you know, you're going to see them one of these days in heaven anyway. And yet that doesn't mitigate the fact that, that there's loss there still. And there's, there's pain still. What you sow does not come to life, Paul says, unless it dies. Death seems so final, and yet in 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul is helping us learn something about eternity, something about what happens after we die, he wants us to know death has been defeated. 
But there's a second question, really, that the Christians ask here in Corinth that's important. And that is, well, what kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? That's a great question. What will our body be like in the new heaven and new earth? And so we need to remember at the very outset that, that we're not disembodied spirits in heaven. We're not angels in heaven. Uh, we're not going to be ghosts in heaven. No, we're, we're in the new heaven and in the new earth, we'll be people with a body. Now that's important to say because sometimes it's so obvious we miss it. In the new heaven and new earth, we'll be people with a body. Notice how Paul describes what happens after we die and we're given this, we're raised in time when Jesus comes back and we're given this brand new body. Paul wants us to say that it is similar but different. And so again, he uses an agricultural metaphor to help us understand. In verse 37, he says, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. When you sow that seed, you know a plant that's, that's different from the seed, and yet there's continuity with, with the seed. And so let me just make this very obvious. You don't sow a pumpkin seed and hope to have a, a grow squash. You don't grow, sow an acorn from an oak tree and hope it'll produce a rose bush. No, there's, there's continuity. There's connection between the seed and the new plant. Our bodies are the seed, you see, that's planted in the ground. And so one day, when God says to the Son, it's time, and Jesus comes to get us, and the dead in Christ are raised, we'll be raised. We'll be the same people, but we'll have a new body. There's a correspondence between who we are now and who we will be. And so I guess that begs a question, doesn't it? I, I get this question all the time. People want to know, will we know one another in heaven? Of course we will. We'll be the same people with, with new bodies, with glorified, resurrected bodies, but we'll know one another. Jesus knew his disciples. Now, at first they didn't, but it, it sort of dawned on them. Jesus had a relationship with the disciples after his resurrection. That's one of the beauties of heaven. Heaven is going to be this grand reunion where, where, you know, we're with, together, with one another for eternity. It's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. And so the truth of the resurrection that Paul beautifully describes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is so very important. You realize that, that every religion, even those that promise a kind of spiritual future or bliss, can only promise some kind of vague consolation for what they lost. But only the resurrection can promise not mere consolation, but restoration of what, what we've lost. Now, I know you've come to church today and you want to be encouraged, and I don't want to sound morbid, but, but you know part of life is about experiencing loss, right? I mean, most all of us in this room, and if you haven't, you will in time, but most all of us in, the, in this room have lost a loved one. I'll never forget... Uh, uh, spending some time with this woman in Georgia. She was in her late 90s. And at one point, she looked over at me and she said, she said, Kevin, she said, everybody, all my family's gone. She said, I, I'm, I'm the only one left. Oh, wow. And some of you sitting right there, you know what I'm talking about. A part of life is experiencing loss. We, we lose loved ones. But not only do we lose 
loved ones, we, we, we lose our health. The older we get, the more these bodies that we so much enjoy and appreciate begin to break down just a little bit. I was talking to someone not long ago, and, and he said to me from this church, and he said, Kevin, you know, the older I get, the, the, the less I have my balance. He said, I'm, I'm not as balanced and steady as I once was. Some, the older we get, the, the more we lose, you know, things like our memory, and we start to repeat ourselves, you know. And, and others of us, the older we get, we start to lose our memory, and we start to repeat ourselves, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? It seems like more and more people are struggling with Alzheimer's and uh, dementia-related issues. Um, Getting older, we we experience loss. We lose our energy. And we can go on and on with the things that we lose. But here's the unique truth of Christ's resurrection. I mean, this makes Christianity utterly unique. The resurrection of Christ doesn't just promise some kind of vague consolation. It promises restoration of what you've lost. You don't just get your body back. You get the body that you've always wanted in First Corinthians, when, when, we're, when we're raised from the dead. Paul Talley and I have this conversation all the time. I'll come in, and I'm, I'm a little bit older than Paul Talley. And so he calls me Grandpa. I think I'm like a year older than him right now because I just had my birthday. But I'll tell Paul all the time, you know, in the new heaven and new earth, Paul's going to be given a brand new body. And he's going to run and jump and dance. I don't know if you even want to dance, Paul, but you'll be able to anyway. All of us, we'll get this brand new, it's not just consolation, it's restoration. You see, some of us maybe in this life, we experience the loss in terms of relationship. I realize I'm speaking to some people right now who maybe you've never married and that you, you experience kind of a loss in that. You've always maybe wanted to be married and that just didn't happen for you. Or maybe some of you, you had a, a difficult relationship. You, you've experienced the hardship and the heartache of the pain of divorce. And even me now just bringing that up, it, it's a painful thing for you. Do you realize in, in heaven, it's not just some kind of vague consolation. You'll have a relationship with people and with God like you've never had before. It's about restoration. And you'll be married in heaven. I know some people say there's no marriage in heaven. There is marriage. There's one marriage. We're the bride of Christ, and we'll be married to the Lamb. We're the, you know, who's the bridegroom. We'll be married to Christ in eternity. And that marriage that that we'll have, his church, his bride, will have with Christ is a very beautiful and wonderful thing. And I could go on and on. There's a time coming, you see, when every loss, every hurt, every difficulty, every setback, will be set right in the new heaven and the new earth. So I guess as I conclude today, I just want to ask one question, and that is, so what difference should all this make? What difference should this this sense of eternity make for us? If we take seriously this idea that that we're not going to live here forever, that God gives us just a few short years, maybe 70, maybe 75, maybe fewer, maybe 90, maybe 100, who knows? But, But what should this sense that our time, our life on this earth is finite, what should that do for us? I want to suggest first that it should give us a brand new perspective. Now I want you to imagine with me for a second that this, that this rope right here, this rope that you see, it's, um, it's, it's eternity. That, that just imagine this rope stretched out across the stage. This rope goes on and on and on. This is our life in eternity. And now I want you to imagine that these few inches right here with the red tape 
That's our life right now. That's our life on this earth. This is all the life that God gives us on this earth. It's just a few years, really, 70 years. And so why is it? Why is it that we spend all of our time, if we're not careful, thinking and focusing about on this when we have all of that with God in eternity? Why is it that, that all of our plans, if we're not careful, are all about this, you know? So, you know, we're born and we live and we're middle-aged. And then we start thinking about right over here. And, man, we start saying, we, say, we start to imagine that time we'll have enough money just for that, for that, amount, of, that amount of life. I, you know, why is it that we spend so much time think, thinking about that while we ignore the fact that we'll be with God for eternity? You see, I think when we understand this sense of eternity, it gives us, it gives us a, a, a bigger perspective on, on so many things, on how we spend money, on what we do with our time, on our relationships, it should affect everything. But I tell you, it does something else for us, this sense of eternity. When we understand we'll have that much time with God, it should, I think, not only affect our perspective, but give us a sense of, of perseverance. Can we just all admit that sometimes life in this world is hard? Life is difficult. Now, I'm so blessed that God gives us this, this time. I, I, I love what he, I love this gift of life. It is precious. But some of you in this room right now are really struggling, and you wonder, can I go on? I have a, a cousin right now who's, he's about my age, and, and he had a fall and so became a quadriplegic. And that changed everything about his life. And it's difficult. It's hard. How, does he, how can he go on? How can he face, how can he face that? He, he understands. He has about that much life here, and he's looking forward to a new body in the new heaven and new earth with God. It gives us a sense, I think, when we understand the sense of eternity, gives us the ability to persevere in some difficult circumstances. But I'll tell you one more thing it does. It gives us a sense of purpose and mission. You know, a lot of people in this world, they have little sense of purpose and mission. If they do, they're trying to find something. They're, they're grasping at straws to find some kind of purpose, some kind of mission. And their purpose and mission is all about these few years right here. Oh, it's about saving the planet or it's about whatever, you know. And, and I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I think we ought to save the planet. It's great. I'm all for all of that. But one of these days we're going to be in the new heaven and new earth. And you know what I want? I want as many, I want my kids with me in the new heaven and new earth. I want my wife with me in the new heaven. I, I want every one of you with me in the new heaven and new earth. Don't you? And you have a bunch of people like that. Well, maybe everybody. Maybe, maybe most people in this room. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, we, but there's a lot of people in your life, right? That you wonder, are, there, are they right with God? Do they have a sense? When you understand how long eternity is, it ought to give us a sense of purpose and mission. See, here's the truth. The truth is, everybody will live forever somewhere and what i know about jesus is jesus wants every one of us to live with him for eternity love the symmetry of the bible the first two chapters in the bible genesis 1 and 2 god creates this beautiful world everything is perfect everything is right then sin enters and there's separation between god and humankind and by the time we get to revelation chapter 21 and 22 we're back in the garden, and now God is present, and everything is set right. There's no need for any light, because God himself is the light. And God wants every single one of us to be with him 
forever. Everybody will live somewhere forever. And so the question really is, maybe two questions. What will you do with, with this? These are important years, great years. And what will you, where will you uh, determine, where will you decide to spend all of that, to spend eternity? And what you do with that impacts all of that. I like to say it like this. You know, one of these days when we find ourselves with God in heaven, none of us will be able to say to God, I put myself here. We won't be able to say that. Because Jesus, you see, he took my place on the cross so that I could be with him for eternity. And if we find ourselves separated from God for an eternity, no one will be able to say, God, you put me here. Because you see, God placed a cross between you and an eternity without God. Oh, God gave us a great gift, which is a gift of choice, and he will let you waste your life. He will let you walk around the cross. He will let you live your life any way you choose to live, and if, if, you, if you don't embrace the cross, he will let you make that decision, but he, he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you. He wants you to be with him for eternity. So where will you choose to spend eternity?